In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a wonderful film from 1981 by Louis Mal called My Dinner with Andre. It's really more of a play about a meeting between two actors. One is quite a wealthy, very successful actor who's been taking some time out and has done amazing things with his time out and wants to talk to his friend about it. His friend is a struggling actor, has a family, just about barely making ends meet. So it's a very interesting dynamic between them. And the centre of the film really is, is a dinner in a restaurant. And it's a conversation about art and theatre, but it's also a conversation implicitly about life. It's a very momentous conversation, carried out quietly at a table in a restaurant where most people, but everyone passing is oblivious to the import of the conversation. And it came into my mind when I talked with my associates about possibly doing a podcast on confessions, or as it's now termed, the sacrament of reconciliation. We called it penance. A conversation like no other. A seminal conversation. A conversation which is an event. The consequential conversation, the conversation of importance, of wit, the conversation which is itself a terribilis locus, a terrible place, which has something of the sacred about it. A meeting of minds. I'm not saying literally a sacred conversation, but it has something of the sacred about it, as the theatre, for instance, has something of the sacred about it. Something that has always been recognised. A genuine event, a happening. Good conversation may be a dying art. It always consisted, put crudely, of two things. Talking and listening. An excellent talker was always enjoyed. But an excellent talker who wouldn't shut up was perhaps enjoyed a little less. And conversation isn't monologue. The really brilliant conversationalist is not only a witty and profound speaker but is also an excellent listener. Listening is a part of conversation. So good conversation is a bit like a jive. Have you ever seen the jive? John Waters uses the jive as a metaphor for politics, a brilliant metaphor. It's a great book, 1990, Jiving at the Crossroads. I thought it was a fantastic book. Very, very prophetic. The jive is a good image here for the conversation. You know how the jive operates? The man doesn't seem to make much going, but in fact, he does have, a good dancer will have quite a few steps. The woman makes a lot of going. The man balances her with his fingers, their fingers touch, and it's a very delicate balance. A good conversation is a bit like a jive or a waltz. I don't know if you can compare it to the selfish kind of dancing that obtains nowadays where you retreat into yourself and bang your head off the floor or something like that. Or if you're a really good dancer, maybe bang it off the floor and then off the wall, both at the same time. But the older dancing was skilled. Sportsmen were very good dancers, often because of the coordination. And it was prized in a man. Men would find it much easier to get a girlfriend if he could dance without crippling her. Good conversations like a skilled dance. There are steps. It's not simply relaxing, there's work in it, but it's very, very satisfying. Now, some of you are listening to this and you're saying, my God, will he ever start talking about confessions? I am talking about confessions. And you may question back, oh yeah, charm, wit. Yes, why shouldn't you have charm and wit in confessions? 
This is a conversation between yourself and God with the priest as an intermediary. The priest is there to serve you. He is in persona Christi. He's in the person of Christ. He's there to serve you. He's your servant. To quote St. Ignatius, like a stick in an old man's hand, like a stepping stone under your feet crossing a river. That is the priest in the confessional. The priest is your servant. The priest makes this happen. The priest should be the consummate host. He facilitates this meeting between you and God. You can come back very Protestant at me and say, well, I don't need a priest to help you to pray. No, you don't need a priest to pray. The church never told you you needed a priest to pray. So don't start that. Okay? We never said that. But the church says you do need a priest to confess. Because we are physical beings. The church is a physical and organic unity. And the church requires that you make the journey back from sin as yourself, as a physical being, as an incurably social being, through the mediation of another human being. That is what is required. If he's a good confessor, and good confessors used to be prized, he'll be very good at this. I think, in fairness, most priests do a very decent job nowadays. Some priests were very harsh in the past. I don't know whether we have any great confessors. This is the problem. This is the problem. We did in the past where we'd, we did have harshness. We also had some great confessors. And a great confessor has to be a great holiness, great experience of life, great wisdom. Teresa of Avila, I think, said that if she was stuck, if she had to choose between, absolutely choose, between an intelligent confessor and a pious one, she would always choose the intelligent man. You know, they used to say, Manute never ordain a pious fool, for he may lose his piety. What are you left with? So the priest needs to be fairly bright. I didn't say highly educated. Some priests are highly educated. But he needs to be fairly bright. He needs to have his smarts. He needs to know something of life. It's harder for a young priest, but still. He needs to be humble. Proud of being a priest. Not proud as a man. Not proud before God, but proud of being a priest. Proud of, of serving you. Of being at your side. Of being available to you. Of waiting on you. I would think of the good priest really as, as kind of Jeeves to your Wooster. Now Bertie Wooster was a bit of an Egypt, so I don't mean you're an Egypt. Okay. But Jeeves was a very clever butler. The priest is there to make this happen. He is there to serve you. And this is crucial as we're going to see later. It's crucial. I'm moving very slowly, I admit, but moving slowly but surely to the heart of one of the great problems people have with confessions. And it's a shame because... Not only are confessions profoundly spiritually necessary and spiritually advantageous, but confessions are also psychologically good for you. They're also good for you. The faith is good for you. The faith is healthy. It's like brown bread. It's good for you. Not only tasty. It is a hard thing to talk to God. It is very hard to have that conversation. I found prayer hard all my life. To come face to face with the living God is a terrible thing. Is it Deuteronomy or Numbers that says about Moses that never again will there be a prophet like Moses? It says Deuteronomy. Who knew the Lord face to face. That's a great line. I think I've mentioned it before. The bush is burning. You are to meet God. And the priest is your servant. That is the priest's raison d'etre. I love the bit of pretentious French. That is the whole point of the priest. The priest is a man who has deliberately and, some would say, brutally simplified his existence. 
the priest's whole life is taken up with service. That is why the collar, through an accident of history, an accident of sartorial history, the, the collar is actually a very useful image because slaves used to wear a collar. It's actually an interesting coincidence. Now, I think the collar as we wear it was simply a neckcloth. The traditional clerical garb was the soutane, and the collar was a white neckcloth to protect the, protect the neck and protect the cloth. But it's a good image. Priest is your servant, and he makes this happen. But it's very hard to do, and so it's, it is made easier by the presence of another human being whose whole life has been simplified in the sense that he exists for you. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said once that he was a teacher from his very heart, eventually ends up learning everything with reference to his students. In other words, he's processing even as he experiences and learns. Could be on holidays for the summer in a foreign country. And he's already thinking as to how he's going to share this with his classes and pass it on. And so the priest channels grace. General Mattis, the American general who was briefly Donald Trump's Secretary of Defence, wasn't it? Secretary of Defence. Famous American soldier. He said to the American Marines serving abroad, he said, be polite, be respectful, be correct, and have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Because Mattis never stopped saying a soldier is a killer. He was blunt about it. He talked openly about lethality. The priest should be polite, should be correct, should be friendly, should have a plan to save everyone he meets. It is his job to get you to heaven. He has simplified his life to that extent. A good priest should have a plan to save everyone he meets, or rather to facilitate the salvation of everyone he meets. Now the confessions. You may not be ready for a conversation with God, and you may not be ready to say you're sorry, I'll get to that later. You may not be ready for a load of things, but for some reason that you can't fully explain, you want to go to confessions, even though you, you, by all the rules you're not ready for it. So the first thing I'm going to say to you is go to confessions, even if you don't confess. That's going on in you for a reason. That's the motion of grace within you. Don't despise it. Go to confessions. I prefer to hear confessions in the box the old-fashioned way. Confessions alone in the room is foolish, to my mind. It was a foolish aberration, and it totally ignored the church's wisdom in having a, a grill fixed between the penitent and the priest, which protected the priest from having anything said about him, and it protected the penitent from a crooked priest. Simple as that. The church was wise. It is very old. We were very unwise to ignore that. And there was a lot to be said for the box as well, although it was an eventual development, it was a gradual development. There was a lot to be said for it, because it emphasised the total otherworldliness of the conversation, the strangeness of the conversation. And yet, it is a conversation, and a very profound one. The rule about the grill between penitent and confessor was so strict that priests on the missions used to turn their bicycles upside down and sit on one side of the wheel to hear confessions so that the canonical requirement was observed. There was a grill. So let's say you're in the box. Now here I'm going to get really whimsical. I started with dinner with Andre. My dinner with Andre, okay. The conversation of consequence. A conversation like no other. In a world of seemingly ordinary conversations, a conversation that opens into eternity. Into a box. A bit like getting into a wardrobe. A bit like a lion 
and a witch and a wardrobe. We're here with C.S. Lewis. Okay. Who didn't, I think, I don't know if he went to confessions. He was a very devout Anglican and some Anglicans do have confessions. But he certainly was very close to Catholicism and some of his ideas, especially on the afterlife. He saw great sense in purgatory, which is an unusual approach for a Belfast Protestant. A great popularizer of Christianity and a very brilliant man, brilliant Irishman. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I read those stories entranced as a boy. My aunt, who's a nun, she was a brilliant English teacher and she gave them to me for my birthday, a, a complete box set. And I devoured them, the Narnia stories. I devoured them. And the wardrobe was deliberately picked because on the one hand it's the most ordinary thing in the world, on the other hand it's the most mysterious thing in a bedroom. Every child thinks there's a monster in the wardrobe, either in the wardrobe or under the bed, in that place that cannot be seen. And so you go through the wardrobe, through the coats, through the jumpers, into a parallel universe, into Narnia. And you step into the confessional box. And the priest places the stole around his neck, which is an item of clothing dating back to the 4th century. And he can forgive your sins. Ex opere operato, the church says. The church had this struggle in the early years of its existence. From the work of the worked thing, the worked work, not from the work of the worker. In other words, it doesn't depend on the goodness of the priest. He could have murdered his mother that morning. He still forgives your sins validly. That is how crucial the church regards this sacrament. And the priest is there to hear your confession. This isn't meant to be a conversation about football. I don't mean to be nasty. A lot of priests mean well. This is not a conversation like any other. Let's try to somehow define this. What is this thing that you have decided to do? You mightn't even fully know what you're doing there. Maybe you were just you were in knock for a day or whatever it is and you decided to go to confessions. You made your A lot of people go to confessions and Medjugorje for the first time in years. What is this thing that you've decided to do? Well, I'll tell you one thing it isn't is, is an ordinary conversation. I'll tell you another thing it isn't. It's not a list of other people's sins. It's not a list of all the things that have been done wrong to you and what a martyr you are. It's not a list of all your problems. I know this sounds cruel, okay? I know it sounds cruel. You are not there to talk about your problems. Unless it's the problem of you being a sinner, which is a big problem. That's a different conversation that you can have with the priest. And you are not there to walk into the priest and say something as stupid and moronic as, I haven't been at confessions in 10 years, but I haven't done anything wrong. That is the stupidest thing you can say in confessions. It's no wonder I had a stroke. That raises my stress levels. What a thing for an adult to say. I can't go a day. I mean, I can't go a day. It'll be an uncharitable thought. Whatever it is, I can't go a day. But here you have latter-day Mother Teresa rocks up. Ten years, not at confessions, but I haven't done anything wrong. Well, I wasn't out. Watch the plays of Martin McDonough and see what people do to each other in the confines of their own home. You don't have to go out. We can go to hell at home. It's a home industry. In fact, you can do the whole thing by Zoom. <laughs> Sin is an industry that can be conducted from home. It's very COVID-friendly. So don't come on with that nonsense. You're going in there as a sinner. If you're not going in there as a sinner, then you all, you're just making the first step, and that's fair enough but you're not ready to go to confessions fully yet.
You've just taken the first step. If you're doing it right, you go in there as a sinner. Now, the next thing you're not doing is you're not crawling in, terrified like a whipped dog. Nobody's asking for that. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are a near to the kingdom of God. A certain mild insolence becomes the gentleman. Somebody should always have respect for themselves. You're at home in your own house. You are of the blood of Christ. You have in you the stuff of eternity. You're not going in there for the priest to talk down to you. You're going in as a sinner. Is that a bad thing? Yes, and the priest is a sinner too, so that's two of you. He just has something different to do. He has to go to confessions too. But you should go in with a certain style. You should go in with, I wouldn't say strut, but a certain air of decision to you, a certain air of being at home. You know they say on Savile Row and the famous Taylor's Row in London that if one of their customers, their clients, if he's congratulated on his new suit, they've failed. A gentleman never has a new suit. His clothes are always perfectly tailored and they always look slightly worn. New just doesn't go with the gentleman. You should be at home in your own skin. So you're respectful to the priest because a Catholic is always respectful to a priest. But you don't crawl. Nobody's asking for that. That's deadly altogether. Because if you do that, if you go in shaking and crawling and, oh, I'm the worst, I'm a worm, I'm filth, I'm dirt and I'm muck and all the rest of it, you're going to end up presenting that. And things are going to go from bad to worse. That's no good. What are you throwing abuse at yourself for when God would never throw abuse like that at you? When God would never permit you to be treated like that? No, you shouldn't be going in like that. You go in as an heir, the priest is a servant. Hand him your coat, so to speak. You take off your sins and you hand them to him. Much as a gentleman will take off his coat and hand it to the butler. Now you may say, oh, you're using outdated images. They are outdated images, but they're, they're very powerful images. They're very strong images. Because I think people have completely misunderstood what it is to be a Catholic, what it is to be a priest. Confessions are completely misunderstood. You go in there as an heir and a sinner. Yes, absolutely you're a sinner. You are of mutinous stock. You are a rebel taken in arms. You walk in with the nonchalance of a southern gentleman taken prisoner during a civil war battle. You walk in there with confidence. This is what it is and you're not hiding it. You're not pretending it's otherwise. Now here's the thing. It is absolutely crucial that in this remarkable conversation, on this terrible ground, in this remarkable place, in the presence of the priest who is your servant and therefore before God, that you are truthful. You are truthful. So you tell your sins. Which means that you should have done an examination of conscience before you go in. I once had the honour of sitting with a very famous, internationally famous actor waiting for confessions in the church in Galway. And I watched, and a professional to his fingertips, I noticed him with a written list that he had of the things he wished to broach with the priest. That's how a professional prepares. You go in there, in front of the priest, knowing what you want to talk about. Now here's, I'm taking this from St. Jose Maria Escriva. I, I think it's very sound advice. Go in, and you tell the worst thing first. And this is just bog psychology. This is just ordinary belt and braces psychology. If you don't tell that quickly, 
the chances are is that you won't have the courage to tell it. You'll put it off to the end of the conversation and then it won't happen at all. In which case you'll have made a complete pig's breakfast of the whole thing. You go in and tell the worst thing first. Don't apologise to the priest. You'd bless me, Father, for I have sinned so many weeks since my last confession. Be professional. Try to be exact about how long it is since your confession. Try to be clear about it. And then, you know, my sins are. It's a good traditional. Belt and braces, basic approach to the confessional. Start with the worst thing and go down through the things. Now the priest, if he is any good at what he's doing, will relax almost immediately he sees that you are serious. Apparently Padre Pio, he used to absolutely go loopers sometimes in the confessional and he'd shout, Mayale, pig, at penitence. Was it because of what they'd done? No. It was because he sensed with his spiritual sixth sense that they were not sincere. They were there to try him out, as if he were a travelling magician. Or they were there to cause trouble. And he would just yell, pig, go. He would never say that to the sincere penitent. Never. And he often said to penitents who were getting up to go, you forgot that other thing. And he would name it out to them. Now, worst thing first. I know it's easy to say, but you're better off to do it. Will you stop worrying about what the priest thinks of you? The chances are he doesn't have a clue who you are. I know he's human and you're human and you want to impress him. You don't try to impress the servants. As I said, a Catholic, a lady or a gentleman is always respectful to a priest. It's bad form not to be. It's the worst of bad taste. If a priest crosses the line, you disengage from the conversation politely, coldly, you just end it. But you don't be disrespectful. But you don't crawl. You don't crawl. You call the priest father out of love, warmth, reverence, respect, not out of fear. Now the church teaches that fear, it is sufficient to escape hell. The fear of hell is sufficient motivation. It's acceptable, but it is the most inferior. It is the least satisfactory and the least dependable of all the motivations. Now, keep in mind, here psychology is amazing. You may consider that you may actually find it easier to tell a big thing than to tell something that makes you look mean or small. So, for instance, you know, the great train robbery made, was it Biggs, made him a hero to a lot of people. Whereas somebody whipping uh, something out of a supermarket and sticking it under his coat there's something pathetic and mean about that that's undignified. Keep in mind that for some people, the big thing will be easier to say. What's harder to say will be that which makes them seem parochial, small, mean, lousy, backstabbing, gossipy, nasty. Whereas they wouldn't mind admitting to murder, which has a bit of a cut to it, literally. <laughs> Bit of dash. I'm exaggerating, but you know my point here. Be aware of the subtleties of your own psychology at work. Be careful. It's like Cyril Cusick playing a priest. I can't remember what film it was. He was playing a priest in a French village, but he meets a, a young man who's being very kind to a, to a rather beautiful widow in the parish. He said, uh, you know, he said, people are always talking to me about the, the element of sadness in lust. They forget, he said, a little bit of lust and sadness. 
and he just walked off. <laughs> the human mind is so complex. Human psychology, our needs are so complex. Just be aware of this stuff. Be aware of the complexity of your own motivation. You know T.S. Eliot's thing in the murder in the cathedral, the last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Oh, I picked up the phone and reported my neighbours for having a party during COVID. I was a good citizen. Were you? Or do you just enjoy reporting people? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Okay, that's all, that's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. I'm just asking. I'm always uneasy where I see these ads about, you know, um, call the confidential helpline to report to tax evasion and that kind of thing. I'm always uneasy at encouraging people to rat on their neighbours. That kind of stuff wrecks society. You want to be very careful of it. You end up with this Soviet thing of, you know, you don't know who's talking to the authorities. You're afraid to have friends at all. So fine if you did it as a good citizen and did your duty. But did you? Oh, I was a soldier. I killed in battle. Absolutely. If it was your duty, a terrible thing. If it was your duty. Or did you want to? Did you enjoy it? You see how complicated this gets. Why did you do something? Because intention is absolutely key. So you talk to the priest about what happened and then give him as honest an account as you can of why you did what you did. And try to be objective. Don't go too hard on yourself, but don't go too soft either. This is an art. You're as well to start getting good at it. You know, be hard on yourself without being cruel. And it'll make you stronger. Remember, you're a rebel. You're a rebel taken in arms. You've rebelled against God. You have sinned. Nobody's asking you to crawl. Nobody's asking you to be... Nobody's going to treat you like dirt. But by the same token, you must speak plainly and honestly in this sacred place that is this conversation. Because this is a sacred conversation. And don't just say what you did. A dog does things. A cat does things. A human being does something when a fly lands on their cheek and without thinking they brush it away. That's what I think Aquinas called the actus hominis, the act of a man. It doesn't have a moral quality. But the actus humanus, the human act, does. Because the human act involves full knowledge, full intention, will and all the rest of it. you see where I'm going here? So, I mean, you did this, right, you did it, but a dog could have done that. Did you do it? That's two things. Number three, why did you do it? And so on. And you'll get very good at this because here's another thing. Confessions shouldn't take all day. Young people now, the young devout Catholics, they go into confessions and they should bring sandwiches and a flask of tea with them. You know, because I mean, it goes on forever and God love you if you're waiting outside. You're as well to get used to the scenery. You know, they go on and on, they go in there telling their life story, writing a novel, like, you know, their memoirs. The, the better you get at this, the more brief you can be, because other people may be waiting for confession, okay? So preferably confessions should be in the box. Preferably it should be brief. But it may not be possible to do either of those. But as you get better at it, it might become possible. Here I'd say a word to the priest, if there are any priests listening. And look, I'm not such a great priest myself, so I'm not... I'm not talking down to you. As a brother, I'm just throwing this out here. And in the presence of the lay people listening, let's all have a conversation about this. Now, I like tweet out. If I were a better priest, I wouldn't like tweet out so much, but I like tweet out, okay? I'm, I'm a very, very worldly priest, okay? 
I like to eat out. I, not necessarily expensively, but I like good food. Oh, I Actually, I love very good food, which is cheap. But it's very hard to get those two together <laughs> outside of my mother. And sometimes I notice, you know, if you're in a very good re- restaurant, you know the kind of restaurant you go for a special occasion? Maybe once a year or something. You'd, I mean, you'd know you'd been there financially, like you wouldn't be going there often, you know, but for once in a while. It's always disappointing when you see this. The prestige of the restaurant has gone to the heads of the people who work there and they treat the customers like dirt. Now, one of the phrases I loved, I think it's the Knights of Malta who used to have it. They used to talk about our lords, the sick. Our lords, the sick. In other words, we are the slaves of the sick. We serve the sick, they're our lords. Our lords, the sick. Now, they were making the most vulnerable their lords. It's like Pope Francis is effectively saying the same thing to us. Our lords, the beggars. Vincent de Paul could very easily say the same thing. Our lords, the beggars. Our lords, the sinners. Our lords, the diners. Our lords, the customers. Don't good business people say the customer is king? Jumber Fergal Quinn, the Lord of Mercy on him, great supermarket owner, didn't he have that phrase, crowning the customer? I mean, you go into a restaurant, let's say you go into a restaurant where you've saved to eat. You can't afford to eat there all the time. You're not a wealthy business manager. Even if you are, actually, your money's as good as anyone's, right? And, and you're in there. And, and the last thing you want is this snot-nosed yoke serving you, who's spoiling your evening, spoiling your dinner with his attitude. It makes me mad because I'm not rich and I like to eat well and I can't afford too often and when I go out I like to be treated well. Like the bill will come and Mr Snotnose will come with the bill. He'll have the neck to expect you to tip him, to actually pay him for walking on you. I remember once being, I can say the name because it was, it, it's a good thing to say and they won't sue me. I was invited to an occasion there, it would be out of my range in Ashford Castle. And this is several years ago. And I remember being so impressed by the hospitality in the castle. I was there as a guest, and I'd say they would have guessed that may, I couldn't normally afford to eat in a place like that. We, we were all guests of somebody who was quite well off and was very hospitable and generous. It was a birthday party. But they were treating everyone as if they were our mothers clucking around us and minding us and looking after us. And the next day when I was going, it was pouring rain outside. And one of the porters said to me, uh, you're not going out in that, Father. Come back in here and have a cup of tea and we'll wait it out. And I remember thinking, what a magnificent hospitality. What a total integration of the mission of, of hospitality. And you had elegance. You had beauty, you had the finest of cuisine, you had everything, and you had this magnificent hospitality. It was like being in a country cottage back in the early 70s when I remember them, and that lovely, easy hospitality of country people, except it was in a medieval castle, well, with Victorian additions. I've never forgotten that thing, and I've noticed it, I've noticed where you see the opposite. Now, we've all failed, and I've failed, and I've misjudged, in some ways. But I was so distressed to think that a priest would consistently... I don't don't think priests do anymore. I think maybe this happened in the past a bit, all right. A priest would consistently start to feel that he was a better man than the sinners 
coming into him because he was sitting there in judgment, but he, he doesn't get to judge anybody. God judges. The priest judges actions. But in the sense, I mean, even in the sense which you do that, what you really do is you help the penitent to judge the action. Do you know what I'm getting at? To arrive at the, at the thing. And the priest always operates, not from his own opinion, but from the teaching of the church. Always, always operates from that. Or, I mean, you're not dealing with the real thing. And so a priest who would be snotty or nasty to a penitent or supercilious or sarcastic, unless he had established a rapport with the penitent and was slagging the penitent, which would be pleasant, that would be terrible. He'd be like a waiter in a top restaurant, ruining somebody's evening. There is work here for the penitent and work for the priest. We all need to improve at this. We're in this together. It's a dance, a sacred, holy dance of conversation, of listening and talking. And the conversation is of God and with God. And it is the priest's business to get you to heaven. In the same as it is the business of a top-class waiter to give you a lovely evening. I used to love the way French waiters, even in the most ordinary cafes, would say, if you ask them, have you anything nice for dessert? Well, he said, you could try my apple tart. The waiter had a proprietorial attitude to the restaurant and was proud of the good food and was entertaining you at his table. I thought, a brilliant attitude. And in the same way, the priest is entertaining you at the, at the excellent table of God. And he is serving you with God's bounty and God's grace and God's mercy and God's welcome and God's love and God's forgiveness. Now, it's your job not to screw it up by going in there, talking rubbish and telling a whole load of lies. But it's the priest's job to remember his manners, that he has the tremendous honour of facilitating this conversation between a man or woman and their God. This is a terrible place for the priest to be. I mean terrible in the magnificent sense. God wants contrition. As Kipling said, still stands thine ancient sacrifice and humble and a contrite heart. You remember the song, or the, the hymn, Recessional? The tumult and the shouting dies, the captains and the kings depart. Still stands thine ancient sacrifice, and humble and a contrite heart. God wants humility. Humility, I've said this before, it is not crawling. It is not an inferiority complex. Humility is realism. Humility is straightforwardness. Humility is plain speaking. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, you are here to help me. This is what I've done wrong. The priest can never tell what you tell him. And if that's a burden for him, that goes with the territory. This is contrition. It is not self-harm. You are not going into that box to be destroyed as a person, but rather to be loved and healed and made stronger. You are the prodigal son. You have come back having blown a fortune. You are a rebel taken in arms. You are a chancer. You are a buckaroo. You are a young pup. That's what you are. And you are utterly beloved. And it is a great day that you came back. Eh? This is a great day. Because blood is blood, ladies and gentlemen. And now you are back. You are at the table. Draw up to the table and let us serve you some decent food. I'm just summarising here now. I would advocate... Develop a calm ruthlessness. Do your examination. Face it up. Don't let something fester inside you. Name it. 
You know, there's a saying, if you want to hide a sin, confess it. Hand the butler your hat and coat. Hand everything over to the... Pile everything over on the priest. Oh, that's what he's getting the big money for. Don't worry about him. Push everything over onto Christ. And the priest is there in persona Christi. And as I said, be shrewd. Sex and money aren't the only sins. Think of another one. Schadenfreude. How much pleasure are you taking in the failure of others? I'm just giving you an example of how subtle this gets. Gore Vidal said, every time a friend succeeds, a little bit of me dies. How much of that is going on in your life? Have respect for your own deviousness. Respect yourself. Have respect for your own deviousness. You will try to fool yourself. Just be aware of that. For goodness sake, don't lie to yourself. Bad enough to be lying to others. Don't feign faith. Don't go in saying you believe when you don't believe. If you don't know what you're doing in the confessional, say that to the priest. No disrespect, Father. I honestly do not know what I'm doing. And believe you me, it won't be the first time he's heard it. And then hand him your hat and coat. Because you belong where you are, even if you don't know where you went in. Don't feign faith. And don't feign penitence. Don't pretend to be sorry when you're not. If, if you have done those sins, say to the priest at the end, I'm not sorry. You must tell him that it's crucial. Please don't say you're sorry when you're not. And then people go on about, oh, the priest refused me absolution. What's wrong with not getting absolution the first time? This may be the first stab you make at it. You may have to come back to him a few times before you're ready to repent. Can we too grand for work? No, 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 no. I said you were a gentleman. But for goodness sake, nowadays, a gentleman has to make his living. You can't rush it. If you're not sorry, you're not sorry. If you've betrayed your wife or your husband, you're not sorry. That's crucial that you said that. There's no need to be insulting or combative about it. You just said the priest will have heard this before. And if the priest then can't give you absolution, that's not an insult or a cruel punishment. It's just he's trying to meet you where you are. You may have to come back a few times. You may need time with this. You may need to pray, do some penance to think uh, and then come back. Give the Holy Spirit a chance to work in your life. For goodness sake, I've said this before, keep it real. Make this conversation remarkable because it is. This is your dinner with Andre. This is this remarkable conversation that you're having and nobody outside knows this is going on. You've stepped into the wardrobe. You've gone into Narnia, so to speak. You're speaking to the priest and the world outside is oblivious to it. Yet, in that box, in quiet, muffled tones, an entire world is being saved. Because, and I can never say this often enough, the loss of one human being is a planet in flames. It is enough to scarify the whole universe. It is irreparable. A soul in purgatory is bad enough, but a lot of us will end up there. I'm banking on it. It's the only way I get in. I get in on the repeats. But hell is unthinkable. It is unthinkable. Don't shut God out. Don't hide from yourself. Don't hide from your own culpability. Don't take responsibility. Take charge. Take responsibility. Don't pretend to be enthusiastic. Don't pretend to have faith if you don't. Don't pretend to be penitent if you're not. 
truth, truth, truth. Bang, bang, bang. And if the priest can't handle it, let him hand in his collar and, I don't know, open a teddy bear factory because he'd probably be more suitable to that. If he's not up for it, if he's not able for it, he shouldn't have gone into it. This is a remarkable conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, the table is laid. Your usual table. The menus are out. Dinner will shortly be served. You're welcome here. You belong here. It's good to see you back. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>